for Marin, who will speak from a long time, a long timer perspective. That's what it says here. <laughs> I'm not calling you, but we no, I'm calling you old. <laughs> I am old. So, please help me welcome Ellen G. Hi, everybody. I'm Ellen, and I'm a very grateful, compulsive reader. Hi, Ellen. Um, Actually, night I see a number of people I've seen around for a long time, um, and some of you who don't know me. So, my story never changes. I mean, I would, would love to make it more interesting, but it is what it is. Um, so, I'm going to get the number out of the way. Um, this is my 40th year of abstinence. Okay, so that's out of the way. Um, I need this program as much as I ever needed this program. This is not like you get there and then you're fixed. I've, I've always known that, and it's still true. It's, I need this program more than ever, more than ever. So I'll tell you what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I want to read something. This is my battered old for today. And today's, I thought today's reading was really perfect in terms of unity. Um, it says, um, a single arrow is easily broken, but not ten in a bundle. It's a Japanese proverb. Mm -hmm. Compulsive overeating is largely a solitary pursuit. When I was out there eating, I scorned the idea that I needed people. I ate alone and thought I was ruggedly independent. In truth, I was pathetically deluded and seriously ill. The relief of finding OA can hardly be described. Here is strength that does not threaten or demand or pat me on the head. In the instant, I made myself part of that strength. I became whole. For today, the quality of my recovery and my life depends on something I can find only at OA meetings, contact with other recovering compulsive overeaters. And that's it. I mean, I need you all and everybody who's in rooms like this one. Um, so, I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like. Um, we'd be here for a long time if I told you all of what it was like. Um, I came into, well, I'm going to start before I came into OA. So, I grew up in a family where my father was a rageaholic, um, a very affluent family. My father was, we grew, I grew up in Southern California. My father was in the entertainment business. And how you looked was the most important thing there was. That was really it. And I became my mother's project to fix because I was always a problem. I was never right. Somehow I was never right. And so all along the way, uh, by the time I was, it just gives you an idea, by the time I was in second grade, I had an ulcer. And my mother, convinced people, because my mother liked to exaggerate the truth, because she didn't want people, heaven forbid, people should know our, our secrets. Um, she told people that I was born with this problem. Actually, of course, I had an ulcer, nor because for the piece reason people normally get ulcers, because there was so much anxiety in my home. And the thing was, as I grew up, you know, there's this way in which you kind of get how people, what's going on with adults around you, that there's something wrong, but you don't really understand it because you're a kid, but you feel it. 
And that's how it was for me. I, feel, I felt a lot of what was going on around me. It was very uncomfortable. But in our family, like in a lot of families, we never talked about feelings. So it just all kind of stayed inside. But I am somebody who was a compulsive eater from the get-go. And food was always a comfort, always. So I, as far back as I can remember, food was a comfort. And it was a problem because my mother couldn't stand the idea that I might get fat. And I, of course, I did start to get fat. Not really hugely overweight until I was a teenager. But still, I was in her eyes over, more overweight than I should be. But food was the only thing that worked. It comforted me. It soothed me. Um, it's what I went to after school, came home, would get into my pajamas, sit in a chair, and read and, and eat whatever I had accumulated and picked up on the way home. Or, and, and hid, because I never wanted anybody people to see me eating, so it was always sneaky eating. It was, and it was always sugar and, you know, stuff with flour. So, you know, those are my addictive products. Um, as I grew up, the only way I could rebel was in my head. So I really mentally rejected in my head a lot of the life I was living, but I could never express it. I always tried to be good, you know, but in my head I rejected it. So, so much so that when I was in high school, so this is the uh, 50s, I guess, or yeah, in the 50s. So there, I was such a rebel in my head. Um, there was a comedian named Lenny Bruce who's become like more popular now, I think, because of Mrs. Maisel on TV. But in those days, he was quite popular and completely irreverent and disrespected everybody and everything. And while my friends were idolizing movie stars, I was idolizing Lenny Bruce. And he was a drug addict. That made it even more exciting, and, you know. So, and I, my, I had another friend, and she and I, who was, she was also an eating buddy, but she and I would go hang out where he would work. And we weren't allowed inside because they were nightclubs, but, little, but we knew all of his records, we knew all of his routines, and we would hang out where he was. Um, I say this just because it represents the, the internal rebellion that was going on. I never felt like I fit in where I was growing up. My values were not theirs. And they still aren't. They still aren't. Um, so, fast forward, um, I was not, in high school was probably the worst time for me because I was overweight, my mother found a gazillion things wrong with me, I was always <coughs> going to doctors, pills, shots, uh, we were, oh, shots were really big in those days, they gave you shots, they gave you pills, um, and I tried every diet on the block, and she had me trying every diet on the block. Um, but still, the only thing I really wanted, really, really wanted, that worked, was food. Eating compulsively worked. It sedated me, it comforted me, and I, had, I didn't feel I had anywhere else to go. Um, when I graduated from high school, my grades were just so-so because I never really, like, <coughs> my self-esteem was really low, I didn't think I was very smart. 
Um, my grades were so-so, my parents wouldn't let me leave California, but I did come to Northern California to go to college. And when I came to college, the, within the first, I don't know, two or three months of being there, I met a guy who was the closest thing I could find to Lenny Bruce. <laughs> and of course, I married him. Of course. So, I mean, this is the level of maturity that I had. And of course, my parents were like, oh my God, this is like the end of the world. What is she doing? Um, but, we, and I also was pregnant. That was another issue, which my mother was like humiliated by and lied about. So in, in seven months, my oldest son was born. He's now 58. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but, he was, but he was born. He was born in seven months, and my mother like lied and told all of her friends, because I was in Northern California, that he weighed four and a half pounds. He actually was normal birth and um, totally healthy, um, but she was really embarrassed. Um, so anyway, that marriage um, lasted eight years. We moved back to Los Angeles because of the pull my parents had. I still wasn't really independent. And um, turns out my ex-husband, my ex-husband was an alcoholic. So I started, we, we were part of a group where we were seeing a therapist and the therapist said, you have to come to see me at least once privately. This was like couples therapy. So I went to see her once. I told her about my life. She said, you eat like an alcoholic drinks. Really, um, I'd never heard anybody characterize it that way. Um, I went to one OA meeting because I had heard about OA. It was in a church, people were talking about God and I forgot to mention I was an atheist. <coughs> I mean, of course, if I'm following Lenny Bruce who is like totally blasphemous, I didn't believe in God, no concept of God. So the first OA meeting I went to was in 1969 it was in a church. The guy that we had AA speakers who came to speak at meetings because there was nobody in OA at that time. OA was new. There was nobody in OA at that time with long-term abstinence, so we had AA speakers who came and spoke. So here's this alcoholic. He's talking about God. It's in a church. I just want to lose weight. I had it's like I'm not coming back here. So, but there was one thing about it, and that was. I heard the term compulsive overeating. And that was, I heard the term compulsive overeating. I had never heard that term before. And there was also a level of honesty in the room that I had never heard anywhere. And so, um, a year later, I came crawling into an OA meeting. And so that's 1970. Um, my father passed away that same year. Um, there's a lot going on, but basically, I used step one. And I stopped for about the first, I don't know, first year of the program. Step one worked. And I lost about 50 pounds. And it, oh, I, I forgot to say that I had, when I came in, I had stopped weighing at 200. So I don't really know what my top weight was. But, so I just wanted to give you that reference. But, Anyway, um, where was I? So, um, I, oh yeah, step one. So I, I used step one to stay abstinent. But you know, 
this is a spiritual program. And so, you know, it was another diet, really. And we had food plans in those days. There was the famous gray sheet. It worked. I lost 50 pounds. Um, but I couldn't hold on to it, of course. You can't hold on to it. I mean, not, it doesn't, at least I couldn't. I mean, I think there's, there are people out there who can diet successfully, and I wish them good luck. But that's not me. I'm a compulsive eater. And at a certain point, all the emotions come up. And I didn't know how to deal with them. Started binging again and lying about it because I did what my mother, I'd learned from my mother, which was you lie and don't let any people know. So people were asking me to speak at meetings because here I am 50 pounds less, but I can't stop eating compulsively and I'm lying about it. Finally, I had one huge, incredible binge. Oh, and I had a second child, by the way. So that my sons are now about um, four and seven. And um, so I had one huge binge, came back, and went to the sponsor who had been sponsoring me. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I've been lying about it. I can't stop eating. What do I do? And she said, well, it's time to start working the rest of the steps. <laughs> and so that's what happened. We started working the rest of the steps. And... Fortunately, in the 70s and in the early 80s, well, in the 70s anyway, there was a huge spiritual search going on in this country, at least in California there was. And I got really interested in searching for a God that I could figure out and believe in and trust. And a therapist had said to me, I said to the therapist, what should I do when I get through with all this stuff about my parents and everything else? what happens then and he said read a book and it was a book by a guy called Ram Das and he was a Buddhist guy um, but I got it and it was he talked about God in that book and so that was the first way in which I developed a concept of a higher power that I believed in and it was very much like the one I heard about in OA which was loving non-judgmental a force for good in the universe and one I could rely on and depend on and support me. So I got abstinent, I lost the rest of my weight. Um, and that worked for a long time, except that what happened was emotionally I was still very unprepared and, and have been throughout my whole life, unprepared to have a healthy relationship. I got involved in another relationship. Long story short, we moved to Northern California. Um, my two sons and this next marriage. He was even crazier than my first husband. It was still a really self-destructive relationship. Um, finally, at a certain point, I could not get tell the truth. And I, you know, I had oh, years of OA under my belt, but I couldn't tell the truth at meetings because I felt if I acknowledged how dysfunctional this marriage was, I was going to have to do something about it. And I didn't want to do anything about it because I was afraid. Still feeling as a woman that I, that I can't make a life on my own. The thought of being a single mother just horrified me. And I was still feeling very dependent on this man. Um, but, I, oh, so I started eating compulsively again, gained about 25 pounds, which was, for me, the lowest bottom I've ever hit. It wasn't as if I had put back all my weight, but I might as well have. I was really feeling desperate. I, start, I stopped going to meetings because I couldn't talk about this relationship, but I found Al-Anon. And Al-Anon 
helped me get out of that relationship. And, you know, he was an addict. He was an alcoholic, too. And so it was very helpful. And, and the sponsor I had at Al-Anon said, you need to go back to OA. And she was right. And in 1980, I, we were in Northern California. I went to my first OA meeting in Northern California, qualified as a newcomer. I never told anybody about my past history in OA. And I started working the program. I have been abstinent ever since. Um, I have to say that the spiritual part of this program saved my life. I would be dead. In my family, on my mother's side and on my father's side, are people who have died of morbid obesity. It runs in my family, it, and it runs in me. And I know that if I go out there, and if I pick up, I will be right, I can, I'll be dead. So I, I do want to say something about getting to a healthy body weight, because for me, that was really a big deal. I needed to be at a healthy body weight. It was something in my mind that made me feel this is what I was, this is how I was intended to be. And I had to be there long enough to feel comfortable in this body. Not that it's like what other people are thinking about my body or what, how, whether it's attractive or not. I wanted it to be comfortable. I wanted to be authentically myself. And so, thanks to this program and all of you in this room and all of those people in the rooms around me, I have been able to maintain this absence. Um, I think it was profound, the, the opportunity to learn to live at a healthy body weight has been a profound experience for me. And I strongly encourage everybody who wants that goal to, that it's possible. It is really possible. Um, I still weigh and measure my food. I'm going to talk about what I do. I'm going to talk about what I do right now, every day. I have a food plan. I've had a food plan forever. I still, at home, believe it or not, weigh and measure what I eat. When I came into the program, Gray Sheet had quantities, and you needed a scale. And you needed to weigh and measure what you ate. I still do at home. I don't go to take it to restaurants with me or anything, but, but I do do that. I have a serious prayer and meditation practice. I studied Buddhism seriously um, starting maybe 10 years ago. And I became a serious practitioner. I believe in God. I believe God restored me to sanity. I believe it's a higher power I can rely on. It's taken me through cancer. It's taken me through restoring my relationships with my sons, with my mother, with you know all the people in my life. I have such a wonderful, fulfilling life today. I've still never been able to develop a healthy partnership with another person. I live alone and have lived alone for a lot of years, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, so my life is rich. I, oh, and the other thing I didn't say, too, I'm probably out of time, is that because of this program, I went back to school and got a degree in a field I absolutely loved and practiced it for 30 years. So I retired six years ago, and um, life is really full and wonderful. 
Life is the whole catastrophe. It's everything. It's, you know, I've certainly had all kinds of ups and downs, like everybody does. I mean, there's none of us who are exempt. And I'm at the point now in my life where there's not a single person who I can look at and go, I know that you've had pain in your life. I know that you've been through things that have been difficult. Me too. Me too. But there is a way for those of us who are compulsive eaters to lead a life where we have some serenity and peace in spite of all of what's going on in the world around us. So I strongly encourage each one of you to work this program to the best of your ability. Having a sponsor, being a sponsor, working all the steps. I've worked them over and over and over again, and I still do. I mean, it's, it's all I know. It's the only thing that ever worked for me. So um, thank you very much. <laughs>